And I'm going to count myself down here. We're back with another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. I'm your host, Randall Sanders, excited to be joined as always by Jeremy Spector. Ronan O'Shea is off and he will rejoin us again soon. Jeremy, how are you doing this evening? Well, I'm 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 physically doing fine with myself and mentally, but the uh right now the Cubs are not making me feel all that good. So mm. that's a little disappointing. But not you know, not a bit. It's been up and down in the last two weeks since we recorded, mostly down with some up. And you know, we'll we'll start it off tonight. You said not all that long ago when the team was a little more fun to follow that Memorial Day. You said Labor Day. You meant Memorial Day. Labor Day might have been a smarter choice. Memorial Day was your your buy-in date on this team. If they were still competitive by Memorial Day, you're like, okay, I'm all in. Well, unfortunately, well before Memorial Day, they have proven not all that competitive. How do we feel about the team at this point? Is there any hope of turning it around or are we just in complete uh, start scouting who what prospects we might be interested in at this point? Well, I still I still hold out hope, Randall. Uh, I, I still think there's hope there. I mean, once again, the division is very bad. The you know, there's a lot of nonsense going on in the National League overall. So like the wild card's still in play, but things are not looking good in the moment. I mean, they're a last place, right? They're a last place ball club. Uh, they're about to go on this road trip. This is going to be a tough road trip. And they just, you know, they played the, the Rays. They played the Mets. They're playing some tough teams. And it's just, it just kind of feels, and I've used this kind of term, it feels a bit like things are on the brink. Like, I don't feel like they've completely fought been derailed you know off the rails in the, in the moment because there's still that chance they're not really way out of the division they're not really you know out of the wild card but if they have a really poor road trip which is completely possible like in three weeks time we could be saying yeah this season's over this i mean pretty much this this is not another season where we're not going to be competitive deep into the year and so it just kind of feels like right now i'm 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 in i'm being cynical i i think it might even go that way but it's just like it's like right there like right on the brink i feel like yeah you know it's it's really difficult to be super positive about this team right now at the time of recording they sit 24 and 31 they are last place in the national league central at the time of recording and the only reason like you said it's not a complete a complete crater job at the moment is that the rest of the division is terrible. I'm looking at these division standings. The first base place Milwaukee Brewers are 29 and 27. They have a run differential of negative 26. The Cubs are actually one of their Cubs are actually one of three teams in the division with a positive run differential. And they are still in last place. Third place is a negative run differential. First place is a negative run differential. This is an awful division. We knew it was going to be bad. I don't know that we knew it was going to be quite this bad. And like you said, that's the only reason why it's not all completely on fire is that the rest of the division is so awful. If you can have just a good two or three weeks, you you know, maybe not all is lost. And you mentioned they're headed to San Diego. San Diego is not markedly better. They sit at 26 and 30. Uh, they are fourth place in their division. But what a weird com- what a weird team those Padres are. Jeremy, what a combination of money spent, talent on the field, uh big talk spoken with so little to show for it. Yeah, and and we kind of just also came off of that uh last week with the New York Mets or we're basically kind of a very similar to what the Padres are where you know a lot of money, a lot of talent, a lot of talk and they haven't really kind of proven it. They've they've been better as of late, but they haven't really kind of proven it so far in the field. And the Cubs actually took 
two of those three games actually played pretty well in that series. But uh, yeah, you mentioned kind of the run differential and, and that's one thing that's kind of giving me hope. I know a lot of that is probably, you know, Oakland based and, and they, we've seen some really bad games going the other way as of late where the Cubs have gotten their, their butts kicked a little bit. But, you know, if you look at, you know, the run differential, the Pythagorean theorem, the Cubs should be an above 500 team. They should be 28 and 27. If you look at base runs, which kind of, deals more with the underlying, you know, factors that go into, uh, you know, scoring runs and such. The Cubs would are actually, they're by far the most underperforming team in Major League Baseball. That would suggest the Cubs should be 31 and 24 based on their base runs, uh, it's, which is it's, the opposite of what they are, 24 and 31. It's wild. And that's kind of the key. It's underperforming. That's, yeah. I would say, the, maybe the buzzword. I don't know if yeah. buzzword is a good buzzword, but that's the buzzword of the season is you have players simply not performing in the way that you would expect them to. And maybe some of, you know, maybe some of that is regression to the mean. Maybe some of these players were outperforming um, kind of that true talent level early in the season when this team was a little more competitive, but that's the, 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 the theme is that they're underperforming. They should, you know, if you want to say they're not a great team, that's fine, but they should not be quite this bad. And it doesn't seem like there's that spark coming or that, that move Ross tried one day of shaking up the lineup, leading off with master Boney. They scored exactly one run. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like there's that spark coming. It doesn't seem like there's any meaningful way to shake things up. It's not as if you can, it's not as if there's somebody in the minors you can call up that solves all of this team's ills. I think there are guys down there that will help, but I also think they're a little bit away. You know, it, it just seems like they're going to keep kind of ambling along like this, occasionally showing signs of promise, but ultimately continuing to perform below where this roster should perform. Well, oh yeah, and and some of that, yeah, definitely. Uh, for me, I feel like, and we talked about it a little a couple of weeks ago, is that this is a team that kind of to be competitive, they had to win on the margins, and like a lot of things have to go right for them to be competitive. They're and kind of in a lot of ways, they are kind of playing well because they are scoring the run. For I mean, they've had some bad series lately, but they are, you know, the as I said, their base run suggests they should be seven games difference it should be 31 24 and i feel like we're seeing some kind of decision making some bad you know flukish kind of outcomes uh as well but like you know i i put on like the manager i put on kind of the bullpen blowing games and so like there's a, i just feel like they have to be like really good on the margins and one thing the cubs were really good at when they pretty much won from like 2015 to 2017 was they were really good on the margins. They were really, they had really good, you know, I, Joe Mannon for the most part was a pretty solid uh, manager. Uh, you know, they, they had a good bench that could bail, bail you out. They had a good, you know, injuries would come. You had players that we could play all around you. You, you know, Chris Coglin was a major contributor. Tommy Lestella was a great major contributor. Matt Caesar helped out in certain situations. Uh, you know, they had those kind of situations and, and the bullpen kind of came through. And I just feel like they're just not kind of, on the margins there getting it. But I feel like this is also kind of, kind of a problem, like a larger kind of problem. And to me, if the Cubs, let's just say hypothetically, the Cubs, you know, fall off as we kind of are talking about them doing. And I kind of probably expect them to do if we're, if the Cubs are going into July selling again, they sold in 2021, they sold in 2022, <laughs> And if they're selling in 2023, I know I know it's getting ahead of ourselves, but if, if that's what's happening, that's three years in a row the Cubs are selling for what was supposed to be, according to Jed Hoyer, a reset or whatever terminology you use. It's not a rebuild where we want to be competitive. And they've signed, like, they put on major league players. They have major league players under contract next year. To me, that starts looking reflecting poorly on Jed Hoyer. Like, I, they should not be in a position, in my opinion, 
where they're trying to like trade Marcus Stroman in July. I, I don't believe that. I believe if you're looking to be competitive in 2024 and you look at this kind of what they have as a starting pitcher, they have really nothing kind of committed. And Marcus Stroman's here saying, I want to be here. And he's a good, he's been a very good pitcher this time. Like they, I don't think, I think it says, I think it reflects very poorly to be selling again. And, and yes, I know if they're in that situation, they're going to have to do it because they're kind of forced to, but the general manager has been the guy to, and they've said, we're going to be competitive. And to me, that reflects poorly on Jed Hoyer. And I start to question as I was in the off season, whether Jed Hoyer is actually the guy to get him to the next level. I think he did very well in selling off the pieces of 2021, making the decisions, doing a lot of things there. I don't know. Personally, I don't know if he's the guy to get him to that level. I don't know if he takes enough risks to, to up the, the, the talent level on this team. And I question it. I don't think the Cubs should be selling three years in a row. That's I, I don't believe that. No, you're correct. They, they shouldn't. And, you know, I we had mixed expectations for this team. I don't know that anyone expected them to potentially run away with the division, but no. the division is so bad they could run away with the division. And the fact that they are looking at last place in this terrible division, I agree. It's a damning indictment of the roster. It's a damning indictment of the team and most elements of the major league organization. It's a damning indictment. It, it should not be the case. It's deeply unfortunate. And it, it, speaking of deeply unfortunate, it, you know, we'll get into the, the, the last two weeks, uh, at least the more recent parts. Uh, it, it's been, requested we mentioned this by one of our uh, very loyal listeners at Stan, of course, uh, Milbo11. He has requested that we bring up the Billy Williams bobblehead issue that arose during his bobblehead day, where a Hall of Famer, a gentleman who has his number retired for the Chicago Cubs, they put the wrong jersey number on the back of his bobblehead, Jeremy. How does that happen? How do you take a, a franchise icon and one of the greatest players, one player enshrined, again, in the Hall of Fame, How do you how do you get the wrong number on his jersey? How do you do that? Yeah, that that's pretty much embarrassing. And uh, you know, I I just saw this the other day. I didn't I didn't see it like the day when it happened. I'm not even sure which game was Billy Williams. I know they put the number one on him. Which game was Billy? Do you know which game was Billy Williams? Bobblehead Day. It wasn't the game you were at, was it? No, it was uh, one of the games in the Red Series. Uh, one of the games Billy the Williams series. Bobblehead Day. So and yeah, for our for our listeners who are not aware, unfortunately, Billy Williams, of course, is uh, number twenty six hangs from the foul pole at Wrigley Field, or retired by the team, and his bobblehead had jersey number one on the back. And, you know, it's one of those things that in a vacuum, it's not a huge deal. Errors happen. Things happen. Production errors happen. But, you know, in the context of this team struggling with just about everything right now, it, it's one of those things that snowballs and compounds itself. And it's it just kind of another it feels like another nail in the coffin. It doesn't affect anything. It doesn't really matter. But it, it just feels like another nail in the coffin of the competency of this team. It's just one of those things that you, you wonder, how does this happen? Yeah, and from what I can gather, and not that I'm a guy who's ever, ever going to claim sources or anything, but I have you know some contacts in the ticketing agency, and I was told it's a it was a vendor error. So the Cubs aren't taking really blame for it. They're saying no, they're they're, they they're hoisting it off exactly it off on those bobblehead vendors. That's what I was told. It was a vendor error. So whatever. But it, you know what it does kind of remind me of. Um, you remember when I would say when Ricketts first bought the team, right? And the Cubs were not good, and they were going through that rebuilding stage. It just seemed like every year was kind of the same story, this comedy of errors from, like, they threw away, like, the giant Ron Santo card or whatever that was. And Are we they, talking cake here, Jeremy? Are we oh, the cake, cake yeah, here? the cake. And just, like, just all – it just seemed like there was all these kind of missteps that the club was doing that were just – you know, they were easy things. They were, like, easy things 
to do. And it just kind of, and that's just kind of how it feels right now. It feels like we're kind of back in that era again. You have something like a Billy Williams, you know, bobblehead day, who's your legend, who's, you know, been with this ball club for 50 plus years has pretty much, you know, since the early sixties has never not been pretty much a member of the Chicago Cubs organization in some way or another. And you, you, you just, you totally botched the number. And it's kind of funny. Like, I, I wonder if they knew that beforehand, like before they were passing them out, like, did they, did somebody take one out of the box and say, Oh, <laughs> that there's a number one on that, but we're not going to say anything. We'll just pass these out. Right. Or, like or cancel bobblehead day. Yeah. Or is it like just our, Hey, we made a mistake or something, but it's just, it's just, as you say, it's just kind of like, I, I don't want to say it's necessarily like emblematic, but just kind of like where we are in this kind of moment where it, nothing's going right. Everything's kind of not going that way. And it's it's disappointing and it's frustrating. And like, I don't want to throw a towel on, on this team. I do think like Cody Bellinger being out has been a huge kind of miss for them. But uh, right now, last place, the Chicago Cubs, should, this Chicago Cubs team should not be in last place. It just shouldn't. No, they shouldn't. I mean, we went into the year. We had hopes for them to at least be competitive. Jed Hoyer said it's going to be competitive. Tom Ricketts said it's going to be competitive. They should not be in last place. This should not be a last place team. And I don't think it's wrong to have those type of expectations. It's not. It's not wrong to expect this team to not be in last place. And it's it's continually disappointing. Uh, It was so disappointing that uh, between the two of us, we've been to three games in the last three. That's how we show our disappointment. We we give our money to Tom. Yeah, that's how we show our disappointments by showing up at Wrigley. So you, of course, saw a a win versus the Mets. uh, And then you saw... Uh, unfortunately, a, a, a gut-wrenching, just a ridiculous loss against the Rays. I was fortunate to see a, a very positive win, a Memorial Day one nothing complete game shutout against the Rays on the part of Marcus Stroman. Uh, you know, like I said, that's how we voice our displeasure with the team is by showing up. But uh, tell, tell us about your game experiences. Any positives, anything that stood out to you, or just good to be back at the ballpark? Well, as always, in my opinion, good to be back at the ballpark. I was... I, I love going to Wrigley. I love just being there in general. I'm always looking at least once a homestand. Any sometimes even try to get on a homestand like once a series uh, just to be at Wrigley Field and, you know, getting out there, going to see the Mets, that Mets game. And I actually sat next to a, a Mets fan who I thought, yeah, this this seemed like a good guy. You can have some decent conversation with him. And it was nice. And, and I did see something that I don't know how you feel about this, uh, Randall. And I'm not sure if I sent it to the group or tweeted out. I think I tweeted out. Um, I saw a 1986 era Mets jersey in front of me with the Piazza 31 on the back, who, of course, did not play for the 1986 Mets. And I tried to Google it. I did not find any record of any sort of 1986 Mets throwback during Mike Piazza's time period uh, in the Mets. I don't think they did one until like 2016. And I even pointed out to the Mets fan next to me. I'm like, what's the deal with this? Like, that's like wearing a 1984 Cubs jersey with Sammy Sosa on the back. It's it, it just anachronistic, and I don't get it. Randall, I, you're the jersey guy. Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, it, it is anachronistic. It is weird. I get it. It's a, you know, it's a classic jersey in as much as anything with the Mets can be classic. Uh, and, you know, it's one of the franchise's great players. Now, I did ask a Mets fan, that being uh, Eric Garment, whom I work with on uh, Numbers MLB, I did ask him. And I did say, hey, did they ever do like a sustained throwback thing? Did they ever do like a one night throwback thing? And the answer was maybe in 2003. 
uh, you know, when Piazza would have still been with the team. But you're right. It's a weird, weird jersey. It is like wearing like a Sosa throwback that he never wore. It's a weird jersey. Mets fans are weird people. They make weird decisions and there's nothing we can do about it. Right, right. And uh, and like from my very preliminary research, but I was only just looking through like Mets uniform history. Uh, I The only time I could find was the 30th anniversary uh, jersey they wore in 2016. Uh, was like the first time they kind of brought that. It's if you if you know the one I'm talking about, it's the one with the kind of racing stripes down the, the side, the stripe and, down the sleeves, yeah. yeah. And and Mike a uh, Mike Piazza version of that. And I, I I was making fun. Of, I was, you know, I was talking to this best fan next to me. I said, hey, Doc Gooden, you know, Daryl Strawberry, whatever. I'm good with it. I even told the guy. I said, you want to give me a uh 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 you know a Noah Syndergaard or something because it's a throwback for 2016. I'll be okay with it. A Mike Piazza, no, no, that just. There's no reason why a Mike Piazza and that should be working together. I, that, that was just my opinion. But the Cubs won, and Pete Alonso, of course, hit a home run because I feel like every time I've ever been to a Cubs-Mets game in the last five years, Pete Alonso hits a massive home run. Uh, but the Cubs did win, and that was a good win. And then we went, I think, to your Memorial Day game was next. Uh, as you said, you saw Marcus Stroman, and you had a good time. And I, I assume, you know, it was probably a pretty good atmosphere there on Memorial Day. You know, it was a good atmosphere. I will say... And this is this is as old man yelling at cloud as I'm going to get. There's some basic etiquette missing from certain ballpark crowds in the here and now. Had a gentleman vaping like a row over, which you don't need to be doing that in the stands at Wrigley. Had a, a big group. It looked like it might have been like a youth baseball team with a couple of adults. And, you know, that that's a, that's a whole different beast. We, we all know there's all sorts of things that going on there. But, you know, I, I don't know that the, the like the parent needed to stand in the aisle blocking view home plate to take a picture for five minutes in a row. There, there's some basic ballpark etiquette that I think has eluded people as we've started going back into the ballpark at full capacity in the last two years. And again, I know I sound like an old man shaking my fist at the sky. How dare these people get in my way at the ballpark? How dare vaping? I, I don't think I'm on my soapbox there. I don't think you need to vape at the ballpark. So, but other, you know, other than that, it was a, it was a good, and there were more Rays fans there. Like I wouldn't have expected any Rays fans there, but there were Rays fans there. I think I saw Joey Wendell jersey, which if you want to talk weird jersey decisions, I don't know why you'd buy a Joey Wendell Rays jersey. I saw some Kiermeyers, you know, I saw some Glassnows, uh, but there were more Rays fans there than I would have expected. Now I'm glad they didn't have a whole lot to cheer for on the on Memorial Day, but uh, Rays fans they they showed up at Wrigley. In fact, seeing more than one Rays fans there would have been more than I expected. And they 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 exceeded that expectation by a factor of at least, you know, 10 or 15. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my brother-in-law, he's from Tampa and uh, he he's a Rays fan. So but he didn't go out to the ballpark uh, this week. But, you know, they're around. They're out there. They're surprisingly out there. Uh, you know, I, I you want to talk about old man, you know, some uh, get on the soapbox. I, I can get a couple for you right now. And I know you're going to get not too happy about this whole situation. Uh, I went out there that Thursday game or excuse me, that Wednesday game, I believe it was uh, against the uh, Rays. And I that's actually the, uh, was that's the yesterday game, the yesterday game, yeah. this, uh, the Thursday, getaway day game. first. Yeah. And I actually was debating about. Uh, that game going to that game you know i'm a cubs fan obviously whatever but i was like you know the Sox are in town and the, and the angels are in town it's very weird that you know you would see the Sox and the uh cubs in town at the same time playing at the excuse me yeah playing at the same time as well like i think the Sox game was 110 cubs game was 120 and i was like do I want to see Otani and Trout? That's pretty cool. And of course, Otani and Trout hit some monster homers that game. And I did kind of 
you know, regret not going there, but I was like, you know, it's the Cubs, it's the Rays. The Rays are really good. Best team baseball, you know, maybe they're going to make the world series. So I thought I'll go out there. It's Wrigley can't beat day at Wrigley can't go to the South side. So I get there, you know, obviously everything's good. Uh, Cubs are dominating from the beginning. Uh, guy next to me though, as you said, I was like surprised. Is this guy a Rays fan? I don't understand. He was he wasn't obnoxious. He wasn't crazy, but he was clearly rooting for the race. And I thought, okay, that's a little weird. And Randall, these guys, they had the bats, the the big, you know, beer bats, whatever, however much the 30 ounces. And I knew things were going in a bad way when I saw the cans of Modelo come out Uh and them refilling the bats with bought cans of Modelo and the entire bats were foam. And I'm like, these guys yeah. are hammered because that whole thing is foam and he's going to drink. <laughs> and they're getting bad. And all of a sudden, unfortunately, some bad things started happening in the game. And what looked like a decent 2 nothing game, you know, the Rays kind of turned out. And the guy next to me who was quietly probably kind of cheering for the Rays for the first six innings was loudly obnoxious, uh, alcoholic, obnoxiously cheering for the Rays the last three innings or so. And to make matters worse, the guy kept yelling that he's a White Sox fan. He was not a Rays well, fan. And I'm like, <laughs> well, what, that's... Are you, what are you doing, man? Your team's on the south side playing Otani and, and Trout getting their ass kicked. Why are you here at Wrigley cheering for the Rays, who are an AL team? You're going to take an AL spot. The Cubs aren't an AL team. Just, just yeah, as you said, just crazy. And I just want to get into the type of things he was doing right before I round. Do you have something you want to say? About yeah. Me? You know, that's the sort of thing that certain types of White Sox fans have to do is they have to run around announcing that they are White Sox fans because you would never know otherwise. So, you know, it's, it's a publicity thing. It's a messaging issue. Anyway, please, Jeremy, it, it, tell us and just make me cringe even harder I what know, this I, fan I, was doing as it got he, worse he and worse. The guy, he was with Cubs fans. At least one of them was Cubs fan. Cause he was all decked out in Cubs gear. The other one, I, I, I'm not sure what he, he was dressed, but uh this guy, every time a strike three called, just screaming with motion as hard as he as loud as he can. Three, three, three. And I'm like, dude, just like calm down. Like, and clearly trying to get everybody's attention in the section, like purposely. And then going around being like, I'm a White Sox fan. Like, oh, that makes it okay or something. Just clearly. And I want, I, I did find the one funny part was on the, I believe it was Patrick Wisdom. He hit that hard ball to third base in the ninth inning that, uh, they couldn't make the double play on, right? So, so they hits the hard ball right way as right to third base. Right as that's going on, this guy's going, "That's two, that's two, that's game." He's not even looking at the field, just like going crazy. And I'm just like, "No, man, they threw it away. They threw it off second. And he just started freaking out, like, "What? How could they name like the play?" And I just wished I every moment in my body was that the Cubs had come back in that situation. I actually and thought put this guy put this guy down for a exactly. little bit. I thought Gomes when he hit it, I was a little iffy, but I'm like, is that going to get in the corner? I think it could get out there, but Rosarena tracked it down. But uh, it was, it was, it was an interesting game. It was a disappointing game. I still had fun at Wrigley. I always have fun at Wrigley, but uh, Randall, I was just sitting there imagining like if only Randall were here, he would be so miserable. right well, now. He'd be, he'd be across the ballpark at that point. Like at this point, with this team and with me again, being old and curmudgeonly, I'm just not here for assholes at the ballpark. Like I'm trying to enjoy myself. I'd have been across the ballpark at that point. I'd have been looking across I, were you in the upper deck, lower deck. Where were you? 
I was in upper deck. I was okay. in the section I'd I've have been, been almost every game this year. I'd have been looking across the upper deck going, okay, it looks like there's an empty row completely on the other side of the ballpark. I would have pulled the shoot. I would have gone, I'm not here for that at the ballpark. Like, you know, there's, there's act how you want at the ballpark, but don't be an asshole. And again, it's, there's basic etiquette is don't be that asshole. And if you have to know what I mean, if you're curious what I mean by that asshole, you've either never encountered them or you are that asshole. So I'm saying don't be that person at the ballpark. So yeah, I'd have been across the ballpark at that point. I'm not here to have people that close to me acting like that at the ballpark. There needs to be some basic, some basic don't do that. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's the technical term. Some basic don't do that. Especially when your team is playing at home that day and you didn't go to that game and they're losing 12 to five and they're 1200 game 500. Like, don't be that guy. I mean, I've gone to plenty of white Sox games. I always go to white Sox games every year, go all the time. I've never like been like, you know, I generally root for the white Sox when I'm there. I'm you, I like want them to win. Uh, I, I, I don't outwardly, if something happens, you know, I don't outwardly root against. I, I would never be an asshole to all the people in the crowd there. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know what, like like if it's your team and you're rooting for them, I understand like, okay. And, but you're not, I've never even gone. Like I've been to St. Louis. I've been to Milwaukee. I've been to Cincinnati. I've been to Pittsburgh. I've been to all our division rivals. I've never been there to like troll the other team's fans. Even when my team has been winning, it's like, money wasted. If that's I, what I you're doing. celebrate my team, I, I'll do it. I'll do it loudly, but I'm not going to be like a huge asshole going around to everybody in the crowd. <laughs> like what? Like whatever. It was just, I was just, I just, I, all I could think about is I kind of, I know Randall would be miserable, but I wish you were here right now. Cause it would be, it would be tremendous content to see how Randall would handle this situation right next to us. And yeah, uh, we were up in the upper deck behind home plate, you know, some of the best views in the ballpark, I think. Uh, and it was, it was just fantastic. Yeah. I, I'd have been like the rebels at Hoth, Jeremy. I would have been like, okay, we're evacuating. You know where the rendezvous point is everybody out. Uh, but, uh, well, I'm, I'm sure that gentleman found a very nice trough to sleep in um, at the end of the game. I hope he's very happy um, in his new home. Uh, so as we uh, complete the homestand here, uh, one Cubs legend has returned from a nearly year-long injury. Unfortunately, two other Cubs come down with ailments. Uh, one didn't happen on the homestand. One did. Kyle Hendricks, uh, 2016 world champion. He is back from that shoulder surgery, throwing his first major league pitches since July of 2022. The results have been mixed so far. He's gotten burned on some hard contact. He's gotten burned on a lot of soft contact as he did against the Mets. But you know what? It doesn't look like he's completely outmatched. We've seen flashes. He had a, an extended rehab stint at AAA Iowa. And Jeremy, what are we expecting from Hendricks down the stretch? Do we think he's going to round back into something resembling form or do we think it's just going to be hit and miss the rest of the way well i guess the question to that is what are we expecting his form to be in terms of like rounding back like uh because the last two years he he hasn't been good <laughs> i'm just gonna say it kyle hendricks has been bad uh you, you know and it is but i will say looking at him these last two games and it's hard to take away from two games I he's pitched a little better than I expected him to. I I, I thought that, you know, and I, I mentioned it's last time we were on about like he's always kind of been generally a slow starter and maybe kind of that whole rehab stint in Iowa, you know, through the minors kind of could get him into like his mechanics working all that all that stuff that we kind of generally see like happen in you know April kind of for him it's always been kind of like well he has to kind of pitch four weeks until his mechanics kind of kind of get into you know 
start working all together. And maybe we've seen that. And I've actually been surprised so far. I thought, you know, because the last two years have been bad. He's coming off an injury. He, he would struggle in the majors. And so far this year, you know, he's faced two pretty good offenses in Tampa and, and New York. It's It's been short, but I think he's pitched pretty well. And if I think if he pitches like this the rest of the season, I think that would be a huge uh, thing that the Cubs need because Wesneski was down for Hendricks, but they obviously he came back up recently, but they need kind of a stable pitching. Uh, Jameson Tyone, uh, we've seen some struggles. Struggling, struggling I, not good. I, I thought he actually pitched pretty well his last start, but until it all went south, it, it, it all went south. Well, Mark Leiter Jr. helped out on that one too, or excuse me, not Mark Leiter Jr. Um, uh, Michael Fulmer, I meant to say, helped out on that one too, where he gave up that homer after they pulled Tyone. But uh, I, I, I. I, I think if this version of Kyle Hendricks, what we've seen the last two starts, if we get that version of Kyle Hendricks, I think that solidifies kind of your back end of your rotation. And so yeah. I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, you know, he's pitched a lot better. He's looked a lot better than I expected. I expected, you know, his first start, first two starts, I just expected them to be just complete disasters. And, you know, they haven't been great, but they have definitely not been complete disasters. And, you know, like you said, Kyle Hendricks rounding back into form, what does that mean? You know, giving you a chance, giving you a chance every fifth day is just not getting completely uh completely destroyed out there. And uh, unfortunately, that does bring us to another injury is that Justin Steele left yesterday's game, the game you were at, with the uh, almighty forearm issue. And boy, that's just a word that sends chills up your spine when you're talking about a pitcher, because that can very often the headline a week or two weeks later is needs Tommy John surgery, whether get it or try and rehab it. Not good, but forearm injury, words you never want to hear as a pitcher. Now, there are unconfirmed reports today that they think he may only miss one start, and they didn't sound too worried. But, boy, Jeremy, Justin Steele has been so good this year, and if there is any hope of them competing, they're going to need Justin Steele. If he's out for any extended period of time, much less the kind of injury that a forearm forearm tightness can portend, they are in even worse trouble than we thought. Definitely, definitely. And, and you said if he gets into Tommy Johnson, Surgery, you start thinking about next year as well. Like, absolutely. Can uh, they Tommy be- John surgery in June, you're not back until at earliest, probably the all star break of 2024. That's right. a whole lot of development time he'd lose. That's a whole lot of, of, that's a whole lot of his quality work that the Cubs would lose. So, you know, we've all got fingers crossed that we're recording this on the evening of June 1st, off day for the team. Team doesn't typically talk to the media or provide uh, injury updates on off days. So, you know, we're all going to be, waiting with bated breath tomorrow evening the cubs are on the west coast and they probably won't talk to the media until closer to that late evening central time game time but we're all going to be watching for those reports see if the team provides anything fingers crossed that it's nothing serious for justin Steele. exactly and as you said i was at the game and i i did not see him and i wasn't like looking closely for it but i i did not personally see him like shaking out the arm which i read on twitter was happening and so when they came out to check him out i was kind of concerned and but they looked to me like they were looking at his arm and I couldn't really uh, his kind of hand arm region. I couldn't really tell what was going on. They let him in. And they the let hand him go. Arm region, also known as like the whole arm. Yeah, the whole arm. And they let him go. And I, I thought maybe he what I was going to say was I thought maybe he had like a blister on his hand or something. And so because they let him pitch, I was I was surprised if they would keep him in there if he had like a forearm problem or something and they let him pitch and he got out of it. And I was like, OK, maybe, you know, whatever. And then he didn't come back out. And then I started getting concerned. And then, you know, you start reading about the whole four, once forearm, that word. Yeah, is well, that's you the word you never want to hear. You never want to hear oblique 
or high ankle for a position player. You never want to hear forearm for a pitcher. Yeah. And then you start thinking like, okay, especially a guy like Justin Steele, you know, you need him, as you said, Randall, to be competitive. You need him to be competitive in 2024 because who do they have in 2024? They have Steele and they have Tyone and hopefully Stroman comes back. Um, but that's kind of it. And so I, I, it's very concerning and it's very concerning. It's hard to know what to kind of think or believe because there are so many times as well where you hear the kind of, oh, it's just precautionary. Oh, they're not worried. Oh, it's not yep. that big of a deal. And then it is a big deal. And you hear no that one's worried. No one's worried till they're worried. Exactly. And so it's kind of hard to kind of even put stock into those type of comments. So the fact that Steele is saying that he does he's not worried, I kind of do put stock in because, like, I feel like he would know how his arm feels, I hope. I mean, he is a major league athlete, a professional athlete, and many of them are competitive and they're going to want to pitch no matter what. But also, I feel like they do try to take care of the bodies, at least in this day and age, like, you know, the whole load management idea in the NBA or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's concerning. I will say, though, uh, the one thing I, that was not concerning to me for the most part was I thought Hayden Wesneski did a pretty fine job in relief. I thought he kind of, you know, they called him back up from Iowa. I don't think they wanted him to use him to, this way this soon, you know, with Justin Steele getting in trouble. But having him there, having him come out the bullpen, working some long, uh, you know, relief, I guess, in this situation, I thought he looked pretty well. I thought that slider looked very nasty. He got a few guys out on that uh, sweeper or whatever you want to call it. And unfortunately, he got burned as well on a home run that had, was given up right out. A guy on first base, he put a guy on, Ross takes him out, and then Mark Lyer Jr. gives up a home run, um, which I feel like – can I just say one thing that's a little off topic, but to that, I feel like this kind of goes back to where the Cubs are losing on the margins, and I don't necessarily dispute that Ross didn't make the right move there because Mark Lyer Jr. has been so good against lefties. But it just seems so weird that – consistently to the Cubs, I feel like Ross has just kind of a guy gets on, even though your, your pitcher's working pretty well, a guy gets on and, and Ross is like, all right, that's it. Come out. And then the first reliever, the first batter hits a home run. And it's a two run homer. And you're like, what just happened there? I feel like that's happened so many times this year. And it's like, what, what is going on with that? It's just kind of crazy how they have, maybe it hasn't happened more often, but it just feels like it's happened a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about managers pulling the right levers. It seems like Ross, is not pulling the right levers. He pulls the levers that you'd think would make sense. Like you said, bring in a, your best reliever against lefties. And what does he do? He allows a game tying home run. And that happens right after uh, Wes Neske was taken out because he had walked a batter on a really close pitch on a, a full count. And it, you know, that's what it just seems. It seems like it snowballs. One thing happens and then it, it gets worse immediately. And that just seems like what's been killing the Cubs. It's been that one moment that changes the game and they're just never able to recover from it. So it hasn't, you know, we've been very critical of Ross on this show. It, a lot of this, it doesn't even feel like it's been him. He's made the right moves and they've ended up just not just not working out. They've ended up failing spectacularly. And that's like you said, that's what it feels like around this team right now. Like there's no right move to be made because whatever you do, it's going to end up going poorly. Right. And, uh, you know, it's just like like that one, like some of them I've disputed, but that one I was like, when it was happening, I was like, I think I would personally leave Wisniewski in. I, that was kind of the feeling I had. I'm like, he's pitching well, whatever, you know, run around first two outs. I didn't think it was that like, you know, go get him. But I understood the move. I understood why David Ross did it. I think it's defensible. I don't think it was a terrible move. You know, you bring Mark Leiter Jr. in. He's your best hitter, uh, pitcher against lefties. Brandon Lau is a pretty good lefty. Uh, but just like it just feels like so many times they make that move and it just 
it just immediately goes. Back it's not fires. even it's not even like, you know, Brandon Lau, you know, ripped the ball, like ripped the double or something. It's Brandon Lau hits a two run homer that ties the game with a runner on first. Right. You know, you're not thinking that runs coming home immediately. That's not how your mind is processing. And then it does, of course. And I feel like, as I said, I, Tyone had that same situation earlier in the week where he had a runner on first and he came out of the game and Michael Fulmer immediately gave up a two run homer. And it just feels like that kind of thing has happened a lot to the Cubs. It's like when it's not going your way, these types of things happen. And it just, it just seems crazy to me. When it rains, it pours. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of places where it uh, does not rain all that much, uh, so this is the probably the first of many, and you were all over this. Uh, Bally Sports San Diego, the flagship television station of the San Diego Padres, they, with the bankruptcy of their parent company, were unable to make their most recent uh, rights payment, I guess, to the San Diego Padres. And as such, they are no longer carrying San Diego Padres games. So MLB has taken over the Padres local broadcast. They've made them available on t- on cable out there, the different cable systems, dish, cable, whatever. And they've also made it available via in-market streaming. Padres fans in the San Diego market, whatever, however far out that the, the Padres market goes, they can pay $20 for in-market streaming. So Jeremy, you watched one of these MLB produced games and MLB has taken over the production. They've taken over the, the broadcasting of it. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a Bally San Diego broadcast anymore. It's what do they call it? The San Diego Padres presented by MLB. Yeah, I think that's what Don Arcillo said when I first started watching that one game. He said it's he said it's San Diego Padres baseball presented by Major League Baseball or something like that. Or yeah, I'm sure he said it. I'm sure he said it with a little more of an accent because that's how yeah. Don Arcillo rolls. Right. But you, so you watched one of these games. It was the free, you know, MLB.tv game of that day. You watched one of these games. What's it like? What is an MLB produced broadcast that is not like for MLB Network? What's it like? What's the feel like? Well, it definitely was interesting, and I thought that uh, I'm kind of interested in it because it does feel like this could kind of be more a move towards like like kind of almost like a preview of what the future might hold of like Major League Baseball kind of, I don't know, like producing kind of games and, and you're getting like direct content from Major League Baseball. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And yeah, for most of the graphics and stuff, it was basically what you would expect to produced by Major League Baseball. It's ML- the same graphics they're using on MLB Network, right? You know, it's a lot of the same things. Uh, the interesting thing is, of course, Don Arcillo and uh, 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 oh, my God, Mark Grant, I believe his name is the TV announcer. Mudcat. Mudcat. Mud- yep. Yeah. Uh, are both employees of of the San Diego Padres, the same way that Boog and, and Jim Deshays and whomever are employees of uh, Chicago Cubs. So with Bally's going under, it didn't really affect kind of the on-air talent because they're those are employees. They're employees, so they're there. And I thought the interesting thing was they were holding microphones and they had that Major League Baseball logo on it. It didn't have, you know, a Bally's or whatever. It had the Major League Baseball logo. And from what I can gather, a lot of the cameramen or, and other gear or whatever are freelance. So, you know, not employed by Bally's. So they... Major League Baseball picked them all up, and they're, it's just a produced game. And I thought it was uh, cool because, well, one thing, and I'm sure it's not going to be like this in the future, but it felt like th- to me this in the moment was I don't think there was like a lot of ads or sponsorship because obviously this kind of just happened. It happened within the last two weeks. Major League Baseball kind of really had to prepare for this because I think there was like a two-week grace period from when uh, Bally's or Diamond uh, Sports Group was the parent company did not make their last right. uh, payment. So it was two weeks after that kind of, and they had two weeks to make that payment and they never did. And so, but 
they're not really a lot of sponsorships, not really like a lot of things. Now I was watching on MLB.tv. So during the half innings, I still got the MLB TV ads, the same ads that you would get from any watching any game. But I'm curious, like if you were watching on AT&T, uh, you know, cable, whatever it is that they're on their direct TV, I know they're on there. Like if you're just watching, would you get those same ads? I don't know. It's just like, it would be interesting to me. And I'm, I'm interesting how it's kind of presented on those cable companies because uh, you can watch it. Like if you live in San Diego, you can watch it on direct TV. It's on direct TV, but it's kind of like, is it like, it seems like it's an over overflow channel. Cause it's like seven eighteen dash one. Yeah. Right? It's one of them. It's one of them the dash or point channels. Exactly. You know, because I'm sure, you know, the, the channel lineup is set to a certain point and your, your slot on the, the broadcasting grid was whatever Bally sports was. Well, that's, they're not broadcasting anymore. And, you know, there's different, there's like you said, these offshoot channels that they are having to move the games to. And this is just so interesting because we touched on this as the news of this bankruptcy broke earlier in the spring, you know, and we, we knew, I think we knew that it was going to get to the point where MLB was going to end up getting back these broadcast rights and self-producing broadcasts. I, I'm going to go so far as to say this potentially is the future of the broadcasts for certain markets is MLB is going to get these rights back. They're going to self-produce. They're going to make it available in market for an additional and separate $20, we're going to start seeing this more and more. The Padres are only the first of many because there are a lot of teams uh, who are broadcast by Bally affiliates. And I think this is only the first domino to fall. Now the Cubs are indemnified to a certain degree because of course they at least own uh, a controlling stake in their own RSN. But if I'm not mistaken, Jeremy, they co-own Marquee with Sinclair. Is that correct? Yes, but that is the same. Because it's it, it's diamond as well, it is. And so they co-own, but I, I'm not sure how that. My guess is that the that diamond will or whoever is under Sinclair Banner that owns it will either you know sell to uh, somebody else or sell it back to Marquee the Cubs. That right, my, and that's that's where I'm going with this is that you down the line again it'll take longer for this to affect the Cubs, but down the line you potentially have a a situation where the Cubs co-own their RSN with MLB as Sinclair, which again is the same corporate corporate group, corporate ownership as Diamond Sports. And that's that's odd. That's awkward. Now, like you said, a good chance it doesn't get to that point. Sinclair sells off their stake in Marquee to uh, another rights holder, another broadcaster. But you're this is the first of what I think is going to be a very big shift in local broadcast. And we know that the archaic blackout rules have been the scourge of a lot of fans for a lot of years, this feels like kind of the first crack in that mountain. And it's not going to be all that long until the, the top falls off that mountain and the, the lava that is local streaming rights starts to flow down to the townspeople below, except instead of lava, it's good lava. Like what's, what, what do you call helpful lava? Uh, I don't know. I usually, you don't want to be below things flowing down. That's even true. If it's wa- that's even if it's water that, or something like you don't want to typically be that's true. That nothing good <laughs> yeah. comes of that, but you see where I'm going with this. Like mud. You don't want to be below yeah. a mud rush. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to be below, below a mud cat either, apparently. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're right. And typically nothing good comes of that, but you know, I think this is the first step in that. And as more Bally affiliates stop being able to make these payments, MLB is going to swoop in and start self-producing all of these broadcasts. So that's something to monitor. I think the Padres are just the first domino to fall. Yeah, well, there will definitely be others. Uh, we we know that there are, I believe there were four teams that they were interested in, you know, just giving the rights up. And and so, but uh, we will see what comes of that. Uh, I, I, I agree with you, Randall. It, it's, 
the blackout rules are in place because of the RSNs. Like that's or any local broadcast. And that's why the RSNs are dead. Yeah, there's, exactly. There's no need for blackout rules because they're not going to like. It's not. It doesn't make sense for the RSNs or Major League Baseball because they're their RSNs are their partners to allow you to kind of circumvent uh, watching the games. Now, for people in like Iowa or random spots, you know. I understand. And it's kind of BS because like, you know, they're not getting those RSNs. It's bullshit right. for the blackout rules. I 100% understand that. Um, but uh, yeah, this could be once if Major League Baseball can get in a position where they can acquire the majority of the rights or, or you know, the streaming rights, and then they can sell it to you or, or they can give it to you that you will start to see those blackout rules going away. That's kind of the solution. And we do know that. uh I, I believe the Red Sox already offer in stream, in market streaming rights, and we know that uh, the Cubs are supposedly working on that. Marquee's They're working, working on it. On They've it. been saying it's coming for a they while. Saying it's now. coming, so you know, at some point, it does seem like you will be able to purchase uh, in uh, streaming marquee. You know, however much a month. As Randall said, this is nineteen ninety nine months, twenty dollars a month for Major League Baseball. Um, but yeah, I assume the Cubs will probably be. 30 a month. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, and you'll be able to watch uh, Chicago Cubs baseball, no matter where you are and not have to go through a cable provider, not have to go through a satellite provider, get rid of those. If you want to get rid of them, not pay for those, not pay for any channels. You don't want to pay for. If you just want to watch Cubs baseball, you will be able to do that. And that kind of seems like what the future is. And to me, as I, I did say a little bit earlier, I, 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 I'm curious because, you know, when it comes to those cables and we we saw with marquee and we see, you know, big 10 network, I remember having the fight, you know, they're trying to get on those, those cable providers, those kind of lineups. And there there's, there's a cost. Usually it's like $5, $6 per su- subscriber. And in order to get on, you know, they haggle at Comcast or Xfinity, whatever they're haggling over the, the monetary value. I'm curious now that major league baseball owns it. And because it's majorly like presented by major league baseball, whether Major League Baseball probably just went to DirecTV and said, hey, look, this is part of MLB Network. It's not like a separate channel. It's not we're not going to like force this on you and charge you more for it. It's just the same as MLB Network. And I'm, I, I I bet that's what happened. And that's how it became like 718-1 or whatever. They're like, it's just like an overflow. It's just that. And it's part of the deal. So put it on. And so they put it on. But I'm curious, like what's on those channels? Before or after it, because I know like I remember right. like like I have Sunday ticket and it's just nothing, 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 nothing for six, six and a half days. And then once the the pregame show starts, the pregame shows on and then the game's on and then there's not even a post game and it just goes back to nothing for like six days. I'm curious if that's like what San Diego Padres baseball is now, just absolutely nothing. Pregame show, game, postgame show, nothing until tomorrow. Well, that's. That's kind of what San Diego Padres baseball has been this season is uh, a significant amount of absolutely nothing. Uh, so those San Diego Padres, the Cubs will grace those airwaves in the very short term. As as we speak, they have already probably landed in San Diego, uh, probably uh, enjoying uh, an evening maybe in the gas lamp district out there, hear wonderful things. And as always, we are very fortunate to have the weather for this upcoming, at least for the first two legs of this upcoming West Coast road trip, provided to us, as always, by Alexander Hall of At Cubs Weather. Find him on Twitter, at Alexander Hall. Find them on Twitter, at Cubs Weather. Alexander, Colin, and Andrew, the three wonderful individuals who do run that account. So the Cubs do go to San Diego, and Alexander describes for us the series vibe, the predictable seesaw of the June gloom in Southern California. And this is always so fascinating to me because we think of SoCal as being sunny and warm, at all times, but in June, you do get 
uh, this this gloom, this fog, these cool temperatures. Scientifically, it's because cold waters offshore build the fog overnight and into the morning. The sunshine warms up the land and burns away the fog. And then uh, it forms again in the evening and you start over again. And it keeps the days partly cloudy. And in the 60s and overnight temps in the 50s. And so the series vibe is consistently cool and comfortable. Alexander notes it as one of his favorite regional weather quirks. And when you run an account called Cubs Weather uh, and you do work um, meteorologically in your professional life, you are definitely permitted to have a favorite regional weather quirk. So Friday night, it is an 840 central time start. 60 degree temperatures around game time, mostly cloudy, turning cloudy with fog or even light drizzle, possible late, Jeremy, possible light drizzle in San Diego with a light wind in from the left field corner, but not a factor at all. Saturday is a 9.40 p.m. starting nearly 10 p.m. Central Time start. I'm too old for this. Game temperature time right around 58 degrees. It'll again be mostly cloudy, turning cloudy. Again, a light non-factor wind in from the left field corner. Sunday is a 4.30 Central Time start. That's going to be weird. I don't know that I love that. It'll be a little warmer, 68 degrees, partly cloudy, but again, becoming cloudy with the wind in from left field, five to 10 miles per hour. And this is one of these weird wraparound series where the Cubs will play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And the Monday night game will be 62 degrees and mostly cloudy with that same non-factor wind in from the left field corner. The Cubs will then stay in Southern California and head to Anaheim to take on the Los Angeles Angels. Are they still Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? Or are they just the Los Los Angeles Angels? Yeah, Los Angeles Angels. They've dropped the Anaheim. Uh, The series vibe... Exact same air mass with the same game times each day and the same forecast each day. The vibes are same, bro, same. So a Tuesday night, 810 Central Time start, 64 degrees, cloudy with wind out to center field, 10 miles per hour. And that is the forecast for all four games in that series. Wednesday, 838 Central Time, same forecast. Thursday, 838 Central Time, same forecast. Friday, 838 Central Time, same forecast. All of the games in the mid-60s. Cloudy skies with wind out to center field at 10 miles per hour. So the June gloom in full effect out there in Southern California. So thank you as always to Alexander, Colin, and Andrew. That's at Alexander Hall, at Donkey Downburst. Downburst is a legitimate meteorological term for our listeners. Colin at Donkey Downburst. Andrew at Sky Drama. All three of them collectively run at Cubs Weather. For all of your Cubs weather and Chicago weather needs, that is the account to follow. So we are very fortunate to have them providing weather to our show as always. So Jeremy, as we bring it to a close tonight, we are at Memorial Day. We're past Memorial Day. We're two two full months into the season, all of April, all of May. Is there anybody else around MLB, any other teams, any other players that are really standing out to you? Well, I, there's a team I, I that I kind of have been just kind of been thrust on my radar as of late because and I know they're playing pretty well but I, I just want to say the Texas Rangers are leading Major League Baseball in run differential which, which is wild which is wild to me when uh you know for the longest time it was like the Rays are this amazing team like it's crazy like they're so good and the Rays have run to injuries and whatever they still have the best record in baseball but like the Rangers kind of came out of nowhere and they've been dominant uh as of late of course the Cubs won the series against the Rangers about a month ago um, or, or a little more than a month ago, two months ago, it was early April. Uh, for some reason, I still think it's early May. I wish, but uh, it, it's, it's crazy to me to think that the Rangers, you know, but good for them. They spent a lot of money. They got uh, apparently a new ballpark, which does not look fantastic in my opinion. No, it looks like a, it yet. looks like a, like a home Depot. Yeah. Uh, um, the old one I've been to, I like the way it looked, but let me tell you, that thing was, yeah, 
Hot as hell. What are the nobody, hottest nobody, nobody going to day games. Nobody going to day games out there at the former ballpark at Arlington. So I understand why they built an indoor ballpark and why, or excuse me, with a retractable roof. It makes sense to me, but it does not look fantastic. And uh, I guess the other thing, you know, just to mention, I don't know if you want to be on the right. It's just uh, one, just whatever the hell is going on in Oakland. You know, they're terrible. They're so bad. Are they going to win 40 games this year? Are they going to beat the Detroit Tigers? Uh, futile futile record i don't know i don't know and not only are they so bad they got this nonsense going on in las vegas where they had this hearing on memorial day which just was absolutely insane talking about like eight thousand marketing people that work for the a's are going to come there and like like, what are you talking about these numbers are insane what yeah what ridiculous pr speak uh jeremy you talk about the a's you know we sit here on the evening of thursday june 1st uh, Memorial Day week. The Oakland A's have 12 wins. 12 right. wins. They are 12 and 46. That's a 207 winning percentage if you're keeping track at home. They are 24 and a half games out of first place. I don't think this is the A's year, but that of course is the lowest win total in the major leagues um by five games. The next worst team is Kansas City at 17 and 39. Not surprising there either. Yeah, it's a it's a mess out there in Oakland. They're trying to move to Vegas, trying to get public money to move to Vegas. The team is awful. Oakland fans are a unique kind of crazy, and I think mostly a good kind of crazy. We know when that team is good, that concrete bowl out there at the Coliseum gets to rocking real good. That's not happening anytime soon. It may not happen in that spot ever again you feel for that fan base who just wants a respectable team a respectable organization to cheer for and they are absolutely not getting that right now if ronan were here he would agree he's a big oakland days guy it's just a mess out there right now it it, it's just absolutely awful when you look at it too it's like the offense is bad offense is bad but the offense is like normal bad like that's what a bad baseball major league offense looks like it looks like what the oakland a's are the pitching is like the worst pitching I've ever seen on a major league in a major league level ever. It's so bad. I can't, it's, they are terrible. Uh, Like, like the offense, you're like, okay, this is probably a bottom 25 to 30 offense every single year. Like that's what it is. But the pitching is like historic. It's absolutely historic at how bad it is. And I just feel for those guys. It's just, it's just terrible, and it's just a horrible situation. It's horrible what the they've done to their fans. You know, I if I I, I want to go out there just because I want to experience. You know, I've never been to the Coliseum, and I don't know when they're going to leave, so I want to get out there just to experience that. But if I was an Oakland A's fan, if I lived in Oakland, they would never. I would, I it would be hard because I love. I would love my team. I love baseball. I would love to go to the game. But how can I justify like going to an Oakland A's game? I don't know how I could. Yeah, Jeremy, you know, you mentioned how historically bad that pitching is. Here's where they rank in the American League in uh, various pitching stats. They rank last in the American League in pitching wins, last in the American League in team ERA, last in the American League in what else we have here? Hits allowed, runs allowed, earned runs allowed, walks. Uh, They are 13th in the American League in strikeouts, so they're not completely at the bottom right there. It's historically bad. They have allowed 395 runs this season that is the worst in mlb nobody else is even close the next worst team in runs allowed is looking at the numbers here the next worst team in runs allowed is the colorado rockies at 322 and we, we know what goes on there it's it's a mess out there right now you feel for them you feel for that fan base 
you, you hope they get some kind of vindication, something out of it at some point. Yeah. And yeah, when I say historically do. bad, I mean, giving up 73 more runs than the Colorado Rockies, the Rockies, they've the given Rockies. up 73 more runs than it's, 73. It's it sure is something on a lighter note on our way out the door tonight. Uh, a former Cub legend, not Kyle Hendricks, but a former Cub legend turns 42 today. And that, of course, is Carlos Zambrano, a favorite pitcher of me, a favorite pitcher of the show. Uh, he was not always great, but he was always entertaining. Pitched a no-hitter for the Cubs. He could hit. He could field. He was a great athlete. He turns 42 today. His last season with the Cubs was, of course, 2011. He was one of Theo's kind of first moves was trading him to Miami. But I was fortunate enough to see Carlos Zambrano pitch for the independent Chicago Dogs in 2019. He was coming out of the bullpen for them. I was fortunate to be sitting on the bullpen one night. And by fortunate, I mean like I walked down and sat by the bullpen because it's an independent league game. Nobody cares. And I was fortunate to see Zambrano warming up. I was fortunate to see him pitch. What a, what a great former Cub uh, to have seen in our formative years. Jeremy, Carlos Zambrano did a lot of really good things and a lot of really entertaining things and some not so great things, but still entertaining things in a cub uniform. What's your number one Carlos Zambrano memory? Yeah. You know, of course, Carlos Zambrano, uh, as you said, very entertaining, no matter what, as a cub, uh, uh, my number one memory, unfortunately might be the fight with Michael Barrett, you know, yep, but then also one. coming out of that and the cubs kind of going on a roll and, and pitching well, uh, it's just, a. It's just he was a crazy guy because, you know, he came up right around the same time as Mark Pryor came up, you know, kind of the Cubs kind of had these young fireballers prior. Uh, Kerry Wood was in the league, but, you know, still there, you know, Juan Cruz as well. And he wasn't really kind of the heralded one. He wasn't like the guy that was, you know, the dominant one, obviously Mark Pryor. Uh, and he was the one that kind of, you know, stuck around for about a decade. And the one that, that was, you know, kind of. Big moment. Unfortunately for me, something that had Marquis been around, I probably wouldn't be able to see it. But so here's one I'm going to give Marquis credit for because if I was in college in Champaign back in the day and I had Mar, I would probably wouldn't be able to see a Marquis, the Carlos Zambrano no hitter because I never got to watch that game because it was, I believe, a WCIU game or whatever, not local decision uh, to Champaign. But we were blacked out because we were in the Cubs market area so i didn't get to see it and carlos zambrano threw his no hitter and i had never seen a cubs no hitter before i was so i was kind of disappointed about that um but uh yes and to be honest and i love theo and everything he did and all of course kind of they kind of the cubs kind of did carlos zambrano dirty i thought a little bit at the end he they kind of blamed him for everything theo was like i don't know whatever just trade him out you know moved on they got chris volstad back didn't really work right out. that was that was great acquisition yeah carlos zambrano spent a year in miami decided i don't want to deal with this <laughs> decided i'm out uh jerry that was a wgn game so of course those were not national those were not easily accessible broadcasts it was a wgn game huh. zambrano's no hitter what a moment that was Forced to play in Milwaukee, a neutral site game because of, of course, Hurricane Ike down there in Houston. What a moment that was to go to a neutral park, have to you know, travel around and you throw a no hitter. It's probably the most exciting thing to have happened in the history of Miller Park. And it didn't involve the Brewers, which there's a joke in there somewhere. Uh, but yeah, Carlos Zambrano, always Two great. Cubs I'll no remember in Miller Park, Randall. That's right. Two Cubs no hitters. At least one of them involved the Brewers. <laughs> uh, I will, you know, you, you covered his no hitter. I will remember his his acumen at the plate. He could hit. 
He could hit from both sides of the plate. He was a switch hitter. Every time he went up there, there you felt like it was a decent chance he was going to do something good. He homer, put one in the gap. So I always enjoyed watching him hit. And, you know, I'll remember his uh, his more emotional moments, too, telling the umpire that the umpire needed glasses, ejecting the umpire. Didn't do a great job of controlling his emotions on the mound. But you know what? He was entertaining. Like I said, it wasn't always great. But he was always entertaining. So a happy birthday to you, Carlos Zambrano. I know he's done a very little bit of Spanish language broadcasting with the Cubs, which is great. So happy birthday to you, the man they call Big Z. So that'll do it for this edition of Behind the Yellow Line. That'll bring it home for us tonight. Thank you for listening. As always, we'll have Ronan back with us soon. We'll catch you next time on Behind the Yellow Line.